0: The following sermon is from Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you're new to Calvary, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Pastor Rob. You have your Bibles this morning. Could you please turn to Galatians chapter 4? Pastor Dan and I, a while back, we tried to try to meet as often as we can just to discuss things that's going on and uh, goals and objectives and uh, I like it when he tells me what I need to preach <laughs> uh, and so uh, he doesn't make me I just want to make sure I put that out there but he definitely is very helpful in instructing me and as a as a senior pastor and as a teacher he's he's, he's helped me uh, uh, just uh Articulate that and I hope uh, what I have in store for you will be a blessing to you this morning I've been tasked with the objective to biblically present adoption as a picture of the gospel and I just want to say up front While adoption illustrates the gospel beautifully it does. It's not a perfect picture when you Take humanity uh, And the way we handled adoption It doesn't compare to what God did when he adopted us I'll go ahead, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment, but, you know, when we adopt, we bring children into our home to raise them as our own. Most of you know my three oldest children, they are adopted. Biologically, they're my uh, nieces and nephews, and uh, in every legal way, we're re- raising them as our sons and daughters. They call us mommy and daddy. Um, when Phoebe came along, and as she's growing, she's gonna not, not going to know them as her cousins. She's going to know them as her brother and sisters they're gonna call each other brothers brother and sisters Uh, they're not gonna call each other cousins Um, they're being raised as our own children we make no distinctions but in the process of adopting them Ashley and I we didn't have to give up one of our children for the others to come into our home when Eli came to live with us neither one of his sisters had to be sacrificed or given up uh, so that he could come live with us Um, and then this is where the distinction's at. When God adopted us, He gave up His most precious Son. He gave up His unique, beloved Son in order to make us His children. There was bloodshed, there was sacrifice made. And though we make sacrifices to raise and rear our children, we can't begin to comprehend what God did from our human standpoint. It's miraculous, it's supernatural, it's so much more than a simple adoption that happens among humans. Um, So I just wanna make sure I make that distinction from the get-go. A human adoption is on a completely different level than a divine adoption. But there are striking similarities and the passage we're going to examine today demonstrates that to us in part. So, as I said, we'll be in Galatians 4 this morning. I've titled this message From Slaves to Sons and as we work through the passage, my hope is that you will have a greater understanding of the gospel and a greater appreciation of what God did to bring you into his family. So, if you will, please stand with me in the reading of God's word. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 of Galatians 4. Verse 1, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. than an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, as we examine this passage and as we seek to make application, I pray you open our hearts and help us to grasp it, not just intellectually, but spiritually. I pray you make these truths resonate in our hearts. I pray you help me to communicate your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we as believers would appreciate and treasure the gospel because of what we were, most importantly because of what you did, and thankfully because of what we are now because of your great work. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know your son is their savior, they would cry out to you for salvation, they would recognize their sin, they would believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save them from their sin and that they would call to you to save them. I pray this Lord's day your will would be done and that you would receive all the honor and the glory in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. The whole point of the book of Galatians being written was to remind Christians of the true gospel to stop going back to the things they were freed from. So Paul paints this marvelous picture of the gospel, and he explains it with a very practical illustration. And as I said, we're going to talk about where we are, what God did, and where we are now. A lot of believers at that time were pursuing passions of the flesh and what was popular in society. They ran into religious zealots or Judaizers, they said Jesus alone was not enough to be saved. They still mandated that the Jewish law must still be adhered to. So it took them backwards. It took the focus off of Christ and the advancement of the gospel and the church. And as a result, Paul had to take it by the horns and deal with the situation accordingly. Now, as I said to you, we'll be discussing, you know, this topic, this picture of the gospel through adoption. But before we do that. We need to consider a few things that make it so, and the first thing we need to consider is what we were. Um, as we just break down through verses one through three, the first thing Paul says: "I mean that the heir, as long as he a child, he is a child." Paul opens chapter four with a human illustration, but it has a spiritual application. An heir is a beneficiary. When some when someone dies or phases out of position, the assets. That belong to that person gets transferred to that beneficiary but while that person's a child Paul says he's no different than a slave and then you see that that picture of uh, spiritual slavery coinciding with uh, the slavery that was going on back during the time of the Roman Empire and Paul explains that even further in Romans chapter 6 says in uh, verse 20 through 23 for when you were slaves of sin And we're talking about this word slave. That actually comes from the Greek word doulos, which could also be translated servant. And there's obviously in today's society, that word slave has a negative connotation due to the nature of the Civil War and how people were treated back then. But slavery goes even as far back as that. And it was actually, uh, you know, an occupation of sorts. Um, 90% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And and it wasn't just uh, adult adult people, children, even children that were a part of very rich families back in those days were also uh, treated as servants, as slaves. Um, And until they came of age, they were treated with the same status as uh, servants. Now, obviously, they, uh, they look at the future with a different perspective than their peers, but practically, they are treated the same way. Paul referred to himself as a slave in numerous epistles when he greeted the church he was writing to. He goes on and says that this child, even though he is a slave, he is the owner of everything. Positionally, the child, the beneficiary, he's the master, he's the owner, he's the exe- executive. Everything belongs to him in the same way that it belongs to the father. But he's not able to utilize it, he's not able to, to, to manage it until he becomes of age. Verse 2, it says, but he is under guardians and managers. So the child has to submit himself To authority placed over him by his father. So there's taskmasters, there's supervisors in charge in the care of the father's beneficiary. Uh, The heir has people placed to oversee him. But then there will come this time, it says, until the date set by his father. But that management of the beneficiary, it's not meant to last forever. There's going to be a time that will come that's been set in place by the father when the child will reach an age of maturity and responsibility and all the assets and estate of the father will be given to the child. And once that child matures, he can now utilize the inheritance from his father. Going to verse 3, it says, In the same way also we were children. Paul gives us here the, we know we were talking about the human illustration, now here comes the spiritual application. When he refers to the church as children, he is referring to their spiritually immature state. This is the state at which they were unregenerated, which they had not been born again. And while they were in that state, that immature, unregenerated state, they were enslaved to, to the elementary principles of this world. So while, while they're in that point of their lives, while, while believers are in this state of slavery, they're subject to the elementary principles of the world. Uh, so that phrase, elementary, or the elementary principles, it's, it basically means basic, fundamental, Um, It's important to note that all that's in this world, its economic systems, political systems, education and philosophy, the social status quo, and I mean what is socially acceptable, the scientific systems, evolution and humanism, all those things fit into what is basic and elementary, and you know people who, who tout those ideologies and philosophies, they're very smart, they're very well educated, they're very well spoken, but at the end of the day, if they don't have Jesus Christ, they remain in that elemental, basic state. They are unregenerate, and they are enslaved. And so, for all the trouble that the world goes through to propagate all those systems, in the big picture, in the overall scheme of eternity, uh, what you have is nothing more than basic and elementary. And what Paul is saying here is that, because he's using the illustration of a child, these things in and of themselves are childish. It is what unregenerate and the unbelieving pursue. You know, Paul is illustrating a truth, and he's trying to do it through something practical to his time frame. Um, If I could just bring it to a contemporary standpoint, um, you know, my kids, they're not in here right now, but uh, they'll probably be watching this 10 years from now, and they'll be rolling their eyes because I I can easily use them as an illustration. Um, Yeah, and they'll they'll, uh, probably beat me up for it later, so... I know um, i told each of you that my kids love to fight, um, and it's usually over silly stuff. Even on our way here to church this morning, they were fighting over a toy. Miss Genie had to get a genie, right? Yeah. So they were fighting over that, um, and I bring that up just to explain the point of this fundamental, basic attitude. Um, it wasn't too long ago that they would fight over which cup that they got, what because of a certain color it was, or it had a certain cartoon character on it that they liked, and they wanted, to be, they wanted to have the one uh, that, that had the cool design on it. And I remember one time I gave Adeline a pink cup instead of a purple cup. And I had no idea you could ruin someone's whole life giving them the, the wrong colored cup. And it was one of those moments of clarity for me of how basic or elementary the frustrations of a child can be. Here I am putting a beverage in front of her that is meant to quench her thirst and probably taste good and she can't get over the fact that the cup is not the color she wanted um, so uh, you know it's a superficial mindset it's an immature mindset and it obstructs her from getting what she needs and that's what's going on in the world today it keeps us from getting what we need and before we were Christians we were like children before salvation began we didn't have the spiritual nature we were dead in our sins as Ephesians 2 tells us we couldn't seek what we needed, only what we wanted. We wanted what was basic, what was elementary. And we as sinners, we only wanted to satisfy our sinful nature. Just a moment ago, I mentioned all the, uh, the, the worldly systems and ideologies. Uh, from a practical standpoint, pornography is rampant in society. It's right at everyone's fingertips. Sexual immorality is promoted at every corner. Divorces are increasing at a shocking rate, um, and, I know, and I know people um, that, that were married and, and divorced and then are acting like they never even knew the person, and, and it just shocks me, um, the changes there. And then um, even, and even after divorce, people go and they share their bed with uh, people who are here today and gone tomorrow. Um, money. Money is something that's being obsessed over. We always want more of it. Uh, we never have enough of it. And then we think to ourselves, if I just had financial stability, everything would be fine. Um, we worry about our appearance. Uh, we get so consumed with how we portray ourselves outwardly, uh, how fit we are, uh, how healthy we are, how good we look, and how it manifests itself through the clothes we wear. Maybe you have this go through your mind. Is it going to be Nike or Under Armour because I'd never wear Faded Glory or New Balance? You know, you know what I mean, don't you? Um, by the way, I, I wore Faded Glory all through my childhood. so and I still have some, too. So. Because um, I'm a Walmart shopper, um, but sometimes uh, it's 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 where and how we're educated. Uh, you might say I go to a private university or I go to a community college, and you get worked up about where your status is and that. Uh, you might get worked up about what's in your cabinets. Is it Captain Crunch or Malto Meal? Is it Heinz Ketchup or is it Great Value? Sometimes you think about what you own. Uh, you, you might want a 2021 Mustang Shelby GT500, but you're stuck in a used subcompact that's going on 20 years old. But, but let's take it to another level. Uh, maybe you've got a doctorate from a scientific field. Maybe you're an engineer for a major corporation. You've reached the highest heights the world has to offer, but all these things are not what you need. They are elementary, they are basic. And, they, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't, some of this stuff I don't think is bad. It's like I believe definitely in, in bettering ourselves. But before we're born again, that's all that mattered to us. That's all that we pursued. We pursued the elementary principles of this world. We could not see the greater need. We needed Jesus. And before we came to Jesus, we could not see it as basic. We could see these things any, any other way because uh, we couldn't see these things any other way because we were consumed by them, we were enslaved to them. Uh, We were spiritually immature. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually bankrupt. We needed help to be freed from it because we were slaves. There had to be a change if we were going to be free. But it was not a change we could initiate ourselves. It could not be fixed superficially. All the things that you do on the outside cannot fix what's going on on the inside. And for something like that to happen, it had to be done supernaturally. Which brings us to the second point where we see what God did. Verses 4 through 5. It says in the beginning of verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. That fullness of time is very important. It refers to the perfect time. And it could not have been a better time for God to act. The world was somewhat unified with the Roman structure of government. There were roads adequate for travel that could take anybody throughout uh, the empire. The language was still predominantly Greek, and most of the nations within the empire could speak Greek. Um, they use it for, it's like the English language today. They can travel you know, all over, and that's the trade, that's the trade language. Um, so it's, it's at this time that God chooses to act. God sends his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We see that in the latter part of verse 4. So we're reminded, Paul reminds us of the first advent. Jesus, the son of God, coming to the world. He's fully God, but now he's fully man. He's born of a woman. Paul inserts that part there to tell us that Jesus did not have an earthly father. Half of his parentage was heavenly. Jesus in his humanity was not conceived naturally, but supernaturally. Jesus was born under the law. And many people incorrectly think that when Jesus was born, that was the beginning of the uh, New Testament and while the Gospels are naturally the beginning of the New Testament at the, when Jesus was walking the earth he was still submitting himself to the law uh, he, he subjected himself to follow the teaching of the law and he observed it and lived it perfectly he never messed up one time he never sinned he never had a bad thought he never lied or cheated or stole anything he fulfilled the law perfectly He did what we could not do. He was perfect in every way. And he did this. God, in the fullness of time, did this, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. The perfect sinless life that Jesus lived was necessary for humanity to be freed from the enslavement of sin. We were children enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We could not be freed from the world. We could not buy ourselves out of bondage. We could only be redeemed through what Jesus did. And what he did was live a perfect, sinless life. And then he died a perfect, holy, acceptable sacri- as a holy, acceptable sacrifice. That word redeemed, as I'm sure most of you know, means to buy back. When we were slaves to the world, we belonged to the family of Satan, the family of darkness, a family of damnation. And our taskmaster was the law. We could not follow the law, and we had to face the penalty for violating the law. We needed to be bought back from our owners. We needed to be bought back from our managers. And that's what God did at the fullness of time. He sent Jesus to rescue us, to buy us back from Satan, to save us from our enslavement. And then he says here, and this is where I think uh, you know, the, the rubber meets the road on what Paul's getting at here. We received adoption as sons. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We were bought back so we could go from one family to another. We go from one set of managers and guardians to another. We move from the family of Satan to the family of God. We are no longer a son or a daughter of Satan and his estate. All the assets of the world, the flesh, and the devil no longer matter to us. We have been taken by God as His own children through the redemptive act of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talk about adoption. Adoption today usually does not take place without the presence of a caseworker. And anyone who's been involved in that type of situation, there's going to be someone coming into your home making sure everything's correct. They'll check your cabinets, check your outlets. Uh, they, they'll tell you how to, how to store your, your personal possessions, uh, how to lock stuff up. Hopefully, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, if you decide to adopt, you're doing those things, but they come in and they make an evalu- evaluation on how the child's uh, treated and how the child's going to be brought up, if, especially if the child's being brought up through the foster care system, as our children were. Um, well, they will present that information to the judge and the attorneys that oversee the adoption, and from there, they're going to make an official determination to move forward with the adoption. So, I can't help but discuss my own experience with adoption, um, and then how it relates to to the text. Uh, it's obviously adoption is very near and dear to me. My three oldest children, you know, I I, I can't say I don't want to say too much about the situation just because we're on the internet. Um, but the situation uh, they were found in was less than ideal. There there were things we knew that but we couldn't do anything about. Um, and there are many children who are going through way way worse than what um, my kids could have gone through but if my children had remained where they are I can't say that it would have been good for them in the long run and and the thing to recognize is in any adoption situation kids cannot get themselves adopted they cannot get themselves adopted someone has to choose to adopt them someone must make it known that they need to be adopted and um, a friend of mine someone uh, many of you know, I won't say, say his name, but he ended up adopting a young lady from another country. At five years old, she was dropped off at her school, and her mom never returned. Uh, she was at the mercy of the system that was there. She had no family to turn to, and years go by, and the Lord works in my friend and his wife's heart to consider adoption. This man, obviously, is a solid Christian brother, and he had, for me personally, had been a huge uh, encouragement um, and the Lord worked in his heart, and uh, now this young lady's a teenager, and she's, you know, she's living in their home now. But that young girl, like my children, they couldn't get themselves adopted. They had to wait, they had to be managed by a system, and there was nothing they could do to escape it. And for both situations, my family's adoption and my friends, we had to deal with caseworkers. Someone had to intervene. Someone had to, uh, to make sure everything was being done correctly, evaluated. And, um, and, and, and I bring that up, that, that scenario with the caseworker, is in a very real way, uh, we have an opportunity as Christians to usher people into the kingdom of God. We can act as caseworkers to uh, show people the truth and share with them that. And, I, and I'd like to uh, just share that through this application. Before we're born again, we're at the mercy of the system of the world. The child in Paul's illustration uh, back in verse 1 is controlled by managers and guardians at the perfect time as I said God sent Jesus to come and take us out of that system so we could be adopted into his family into God's family and I I, I wasn't sure how I how I should apply this passage first and foremost like I said we should be leading people to Christ as the churches uh, as the church we are Christ's representatives on earth we're, we're, we're called to carry out the Great Commission And then with this role of the caseworker in a modern adoption scenario, I think there's some real spiritual application we can make with that in mind. We who are born again, we've been adopted into the family of God. We have a responsibility to be guardians and managers to the lost. We have an obligation to share the gospel. We must tell others about Jesus because there's so much confusion and chaos being spewed by the world's system and institutions. We as believers... We as believers should be fielding all of that to those around us. Just the other day, um, I heard someone criticize intelligent design because his back hurt, and then he started talking about how scientifically we weren't meant to stand upright. And then there's passages in Scripture where it says, "Man was made upright." <laughs> and so it was, you know, absolutely contrary to, to what the evolutionists say today. You know, he was an all-in evolutionist, and at this point he doesn't think of us. In the image of God, he thinks of us as another variation of monkeys, and people believe this stuff. They scorn and they scorn God when they, uh, when they promote this stuff. And as as caseworkers, as managers, acting on Christ's behalf, as representatives, going out and advancing the kingdom of God, advancing the gospel, uh, we need to remember uh, that there is a lost world that's hearing the elementary, fundamental, basic things of this world, and they're enslaved to them, and God. In the fullness of time brought us Jesus, and now Jesus is using us to go forth and share the gospel. Um, And and what we want to do is we want to make sure that when we look out in the world, we see a huge orphanage of lost souls, and um, we need to be good caseworkers. We need to lead them to their Heavenly Father. Obviously, he does the saving. He does the adopting, but we have a role that we play in that, where we go and fulfill the Great Commission. We're commanded to do that. So we see what we were. We see what God did. And lastly, we see what we are now. Verse 6, and it says, Because you are sons. Paul here says that believers are now the children of God. That's not only true positionally, our status, but it's also true practically. It's not just a title, it's reality. If you've been adopted in the family of God, that's not just the sweet thing Paul is saying, but it is the reality of your life. You are rescued from this world. You are now a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest name a person can be called is a child of God, because we have the greatest father. And we see that as well as Paul works through verse 6. He says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul tells us here that the spirit of his son, that is the Holy Spirit, is within us. We see the indwelling of the believer by the Holy Spirit and how that plays a role in our redemption, uh, a role in our adoption. Within our hearts, we are crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba uh, is the Aramaic word for father, and Paul also mentions it elsewhere. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of... Of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father and then uh, we see it manifested even more because I know I, Paul obviously is working in the masculine when he refers to children of God as sons but this doesn't just include sons it includes sons and daughters and so we see in 1st John 3 1 the Apostle John says see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that uh, he did, uh, they did not know him. We are the children of God. And, and really, when you see children crying out to God as their father, that word Abba, it's really a term of endearment. Anyone who is a parent loves to hear your children call for you. Um, I love to be called dad. And anyone who's worked in the nursery, you'll see Phoebe. She's finally starting to talk. There's... Uh, Ashley Ashley uh, for the longest time was wanting to hear her say dad dad now she can't stop saying dad dad she wants to hear mama she's not hearing mama so but perhaps you were called uh papaw or papa or mamma or mama mommy or daddy whatever the case may be in the christian life the holy spirit works in us and 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 calls us to call out to the father within the heart of the believer And thus, we're able to call out to our Heavenly Father. Verse 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. So Paul right here is verbalizing our new position that God has placed us in. We're not slaves, but sons. We're no longer at war with him, but at peace. He is no longer our enemy, but our friend. We no longer have to face his wrath, but we get to experience his grace. And those are great encouraging truths for the believer that Paul is giving us in this passage and then it says and if a son then an heir through God just some uh, cross references here talking about that heir of God what that means it says in Romans eight seventeen, and if the children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him Titus 3 7 so being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life these are Wonderful, incredible truths, and as children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. That's what the adoption uh, of God bringing us into His family is. We are at 8 We're being. Tr- we're covered with the blood of Christ, and so God doesn't see the wet, wretched, vile sinners that we are. He sees His Son. All the glory and the honor Jesus receives, we get to see, and we get to experience that, and we get to benefit from that. We are citizens of the kingdom, and we get to look forward to enjoying the blessings of that kingdom. That's an awesome truth, an amazing truth, and it should be making us all jump for joy every day. And uh, as children of God, we're beneficiaries to the riches of his kingdom. We are beneficiaries of his love. I'm coming back to my own experience with adoption. When Lainey and Addie and Eli came into my home, they, be, they came into all the rights and privileges that comes with being a caught ill. Now, as prestigious as that sounds, right? You know, they, they come in, they're not children who come and go from my home, they are a part of my home. We are a family, we are a unit, we are functioning together and as their father, they have my protection, they have my support, they have my provisions. If I had not adopted them, what's mine would not be theirs. Um, and, you know, I feel like, you know, they, they, don't, they don't realize it yet, and maybe someday they will, I hope. But I'm the one that's getting the greatest blessing out of this. I'm the one that's getting the greatest joy um, because they're all, they're all wonderful kids. They all bring me so much joy. Even when they fight and, and hurt each other and scream and yell, it's, it's still, it's still joy, joyful. Because every day when I get home from work, I have a mini heart attack. Every time I see them when I enter our home, they scream, Daddy! daddy. You know, they teach me a lesson and they remind me of, they remind me of God's love. God's love is amazing. I remember when I first left home, you know, when I, when I turned 18, um, my home became broken right before I graduated high school. And um, it was, it was a very sad time. It was a very depressing time for me. And, uh, you know, while I was at Maranath, I had all sorts of friends and and acquaintances that encouraged me, kept me in check, and uh, well, when I graduated, all of that was gone, and uh, then the sadness came back in the, in the worst possible way ever, because um, I came right back to the, to, the, to the broken home that I had left, and then uh, shortly after that, I met Ashley, and uh, we fell in love, and uh, God blessed us with Laney and Addie, and then brought Eli shortly after, and then I, I can't help but think of my heavenly father and the great joy he has at calling me his son. He looks at you as his child with great joy. Um, if we look at the context in which Paul's speaking, you know, I mentioned earlier about how uh, a crisis had occurred in the church of Galatia. There's this group of false teachers that's trying to deceive people into believing that Jesus is not enough to gain access to God. And Paul has frequently reminded the Galatians that that's not the case. This is not the true gospel. It's a false gospel. The false gospel implies you have to gain favor with God by your own actions. But I say this. God gave us all the favor we will ever need through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we experience all the joy we could ever hope for, and we can rejoice in knowing that God takes great joy in calling us his children. When you go through you go through your day-to-day, your, day day, your weeks, as you look ahead at the, year, uh, at the years to come, maybe you're looking at back at the years that have, that have occurred in your life, I, I pray that this is a reminder to all of us of the position we have in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. He takes great joy at calling us His children, and can take great, and, and we can take great joy in calling Him our Father. I read this poem just uh, not too long ago, and, and it, I thought it painted a perfect picture of this point where as children of God, there's this great joy that we share between the father and what he shares with us. It says, one father to me bestowed, riches worth far more than gold. He shapes my character and my will. With faith in God, he longs to fill my life and wi- my life with wisdom, hope, and grace, and show me to Christ's holy face. He shared with me his life, his home, and loved me no less than his very own. And that's, I'm, Praying, that's the testimony as parents that we have with our children, but then also how it reflects what the love that God has for us. Now, I, there's a lot more that could be said. Um, Paul showed us what we were, that we were slaves. And there's a lot in the book of Galatians, and I encourage you, you know, to go back and, and read through that and just know, understand the situation more in depth. But God show, uh, Paul showed us what God did. Uh, he saved us. He saved us out of our slavery. He adopted us into his family and made us his children. Maybe you needed that reminder today. Maybe you're like the Galatians and in a way you've forgotten your identity in Christ. Maybe you're being pulled back by the elementary principles of this world. The thing you've been freed from is the thing you're now in pursuit of. Uh, The basic things that enslaved you may have crept back in and have got you off track. I just encourage you every day. And I have to do this. I have to do this every day. I have to repent. And I have to remember That my heavenly father adopted me into his family, and now I am a co heir with his son. Maybe you're here today, and you've never joined the family of God. You need Christ to rescue you from the slavery of your sins. And if you're here today, I'd just like to ask that. Can I just ask you, if you're here today, let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, just pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself from my sins, but I do believe that your son Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed to cleanse me from my sin. I believe you rose from the dead, conquering death and sin, and I call on you to save me and make me your child so I can know your love as my heavenly father. And I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely in your heart, I welcome you to my family as my brother or sister in Christ, and the next step of obedience, as we saw this morning, that's uh, to confess that publicly through believer's baptism. So, I'd just love to encourage you all to come and talk to us. At this time, we're going to have our closing song, and I'd like to encourage you: if, if the Lord's uh, spoken to your heart, come up here and uh, and bow down at the altar and and respond. Um, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and, and you want to talk more about that, we'd be happy to hear from you, Pastor Dan and myself the deacons, and other members of the church. So, You've been listening to Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.